This message is a continuation from our previous program. So, like, who wears the trousers in your house? Who's in charge in your house? And the man said, um, uh, 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 me, I think. <laughs> and the woman sort of nudged him and she said something I never forgot because it was the way she said it. She said, I make him think he is. Snake. Not good. It wasn't good. So much I never forgot it. I make him think he is. That's not submission. You see, that's a bad statement, a very bad statement. What's she doing? Manipulation. Saying maybe what will get, you know, saying what she thinks he wants to hear, but all the time manipulating and turning the circumstances to her own ends. There's no patience in that. You know, there's no godliness in that. That's not good. So there can be a tendency to manipulation within femalehood that you need to be conscious of, aware of, and work it out of your system if you find it there. Immaturity, just generally. You know, with, it's a funny old thing. <laughs> if a husband and wife have an argument, some wives will run upstairs, they'll get their best dress, they'll come down and tear it. <laughs> there, now. And she'll go and she'll get her, her best plate, smash. Hey, and the guy's thinking, you know, Proverbs says this, listen carefully. Proverbs says the foolish woman pulls her own house down, her own house, not somebody else's. The foolish woman destroys herself. And may, I don't know what the root of that is or what the cause of that is. Maybe the guy's typically a bit bigger. Maybe the guy's got a bad temper, but she can't maybe hit it. She'll go and get her on. So you've got to watch that, and again, that can get people into a lot of trouble. And Jeanette's never done that, praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> We've had a few arguments, but only a few, two big ones in our life, you know. And, and the, the first one wasn't even that bad. It was the famous breadboard incident. So she was washing dishes, and we had an argument, and she picked up the breadboard, and I could see it was coming at me, you know, so I got out of there. <laughs> I was gone, you see. But at the last moment, I caught out of the side of my eye. She didn't actually throw it out. She turned and she whacked it into the sink. And all the suds went up all over the place. Right? Dangerous. Got to watch your temper. Right? So, women can talk too much. Be careful. Who are you talking to? And what are you talking about? There can be a tendency towards materialism. It was in Eve. It was in Delilah. Is it in you? There can be a tendency to manipulate, particularly men, to use that maybe extra little bit of wisdom there or cunning you may feel to get your way. That's not good, not godly. There can be immaturity and of course the woman can be seductive. And this is something that in our current world, the world we live in, this is a big, big deal. Proverbs is a great book. The first part of it is written from a man to a man, a lot about women. From a man, to a man, about women. But when you get to the end of the book, it changes. And there's one chapter from, uh, from a mother, actually, to a son. And it's funny how the mother and the father in this scenario give different advice. Solomon spends all his time telling his son who not to marry. Seductive woman. Don't marry a seductive woman, he says. And then when you get to the end of the book, the mother gives different advice. She tells her son who to marry. She comes from a completely different perspective.
And see on that seductive bit, girls, for heaven's sake, cover yourselves up. It was God who put the leaves on Adam and Eve. It was God who covered mankind. So you keep yourself covered. It is ungodly. And you are going to attract the wrong sort of guy. One of the first dates I ever went out with a girl on. I was working in a hospital and she seemed like a nice girl to me. So I said, I'll meet you in a pub, you know. I turn up at the pub. She turns up with a miniskirt that is so short. It, uh, well, it's the miniest of all miniskirts. <laughs> that was the first and last date I ever had with that girl. Because I thought, you don't, you, you've got no wisdom. You're foolish. You're, 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 you're a child. Coming out is so embarrassing. <laughs> you see, you are going to attract the wrong sort of man. Any guy who will walk around with you in that state is not worth having. Get away from him. Girls, cover yourself up. Right? Don't be seductive. Don't play into this. Don't have your top too low. If you're going to wear low riders, get a t-shirt on. Right? And I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm fed up of girls bending over and exposing their cleavage. Bending over and half their backsides hanging out. Sorry if that's a bit crude, but it's real, isn't it? Right? Don't do that. At least not in the church. We see that in the world, but we shouldn't be seeing it in here. Right? So don't be seductive. Another thing a girl can be is a drama queen. That is, and this is very unattractive. Everything's a drama. You know, I went to work this morning and he got killed. Went in the office and then he got electrocuted. Blah, 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 blah. No good. I saved the best to last. Nagging. <laughs> Nagging is a terrible thing, but it's also a powerful thing for destruction. Take a look at Judges a moment. Look what happened to Samson. It actually mentions nagging right there. Judges chapter 16 and verse 15 talks about nagging. Judges chapter, chapter 16, verse 15. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told... This is Delilah talking to Samson. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging... She prodded him day after day until he was tired unto death. So you see, wow. <laughs> Don't do that. That's a dreadful thing. You see the power somehow there within femalehood that has to be guarded, has to be watched. Okay, all very negative, I know. But we need to know what we're throwing out, right? Search your heart, women. Search your heart. Be honest. Be brutally honest with yourself. And if you see any of these ways, these are wicked ways. Get, do what Solomon did. Establish yourself by getting this stuff out. Then we move on to the next stage, which is where God wants us to be, and that's womanhood. Turn to Titus. It gives us a very good breakdown. Titus chapter 2 and verse 3 talks about womanhood. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, 
and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Paul basically goes through a list. There's the list, more or less. The word used to begin with, he says that a woman should be sober. Now, it doesn't actually only mean alcohol. In this case, I don't think it it means alcohol. What it means is self-controlled. The thing that Eve wasn't. Eve didn't have control of her own desires. And what Paul is actually getting at there is a woman should have control of her desires. Learn from your Bible right there. Learn from Eve and gain self-control. She should be discreet, and that's a wonderful thing. My wife here, Jeanette, is very discreet. That's one of the things I've always really prized in her. She's got great discretion. She's got great strength, but it's discreet. Got immense strength, but she never uses it to embarrass me, never uses it in any harmful or wrong way. It's discreet strength. And that's really, I think, the backdrop for Paul right here. She should be modest. Women should be modest. And that's referring, I believe, to dress in that circumstance. Chaste. What that means is pure in heart. To keep a pure heart. The woman should be the keeper of the home, Paul says. Now, let's just pause there a second. Times have changed. This book was written... 2,000 years ago, right? And in these days, generally speaking, all the men would have gone to work and the women would have done a different type of work, a work around the house. Absolutely fine, no problem. Things have moved on. And today, and therefore, it was fine for the woman to be the keeper of the home. But if, if you live in a home where both partners are going to work, husband and wife, it's no longer fair to put all the weight on her for the keeping of the home. Now you're going to have to share those responsibilities in whatever way you can work out between you, right? Don't abuse that. Just because, I mean, that, that's absolutely right. There's things a woman can do in a home a man will never be able to do. But people get the wrong idea that God's, God's chauvinistic or something. He's not. Not at all. Not in any way, shape, or form. So you should share the responsibilities if both parties are going to work. If there happens to be, it's not an usual situation, but if the woman is going to work and the man is without a job, he should do the household tasks. He shouldn't abuse or take advantage of his wife in that way. So when it says keeper of the home, that's not an abusive thing from God. And we would need to use reason in the way we employ that. She needs to be obedient. And that's a great thing. It says right there in Titus that she should teach, she, she herself should be obedient to her husband and she should teach younger women how they should be obedient to. She should have learned, should have seen that, that, you know, the fall with Eve, etc., etc., and learn from that and obey her husband and teach others to do the same. And then it ends up by saying that the woman should be loving. And amen. Going to look at this next week a little bit more. I believe in two, the two sexes, you know, male and female. And I don't like the convergence that we see today. I think it's unhealthy. I don't think it's right. You know, when God said that he would put a strong woman beside you, I don't think that was the idea. You know? Come back to that in a moment. Next stage is wifehood. Turn to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. I want to read quite a chunk of scripture here because this is a very, very good piece of scripture. Proverbs 31 verse 10 talks about the noble wife. Proverbs 31, verse 10. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. 
Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Now, I just remind you, friends, notice this is the wisdom literature. These are the books of wisdom. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. That's her employees. She considers a field and buys it. She's a businesswoman. And out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms, her arms are strong for the task. And she sees what she does is profitable. And on and on it goes. So much said about the type of wife that God wants a wife to be. The first thing you notice is very important. The first two, very important. Scripture tells us that a virtuous woman is rare. This is a sad line. It means you're going to have to seek until you find a woman of character, a woman of virtue right there. A, a, a wife of virtue who can find. She is rare. She is priceless. Now a woman can be many things. She could be the best looking girl you've ever seen. That's not priceless. She could be a billionaire. Doesn't mean that. Not in the end. And what God says is priceless. What's priceless? Virtue. A virtuous wife. That's what you're looking for. Next he says, her husband has no need of spoil. What does that mean? <laughs> What's spoil? Her husband has no need to sin. She's looking after him. Physically, sexually. She's making sure he's okay. Okay? Very simple. He has no need of spoil. Because if the devil can get you, he'll get you, right? I remember yesterday we were, we were in a church and it was more than one service. I was preaching the first service and that went fine. And I noticed this girl walked in, beautiful girl, walked in and sat down in the meeting. And I just felt a little question mark in my spirit about her, but that was it. And I needed to get out of the building. So I said, Jeanette, come on, let's go somewhere, find somewhere. No one will go because I need some privacy to prepare for the next meeting. And she came with me. We had a quick cup of coffee. I said to her, now leave me alone. I just need to be on my own for about an hour and then we'll do the next service. So she goes out one door. There was that girl again coming in the other door. Actually, my head was down. I didn't see her coming. I was working. And she came over and said, hello, Pastor Mike. And I knew oh, trouble. I looked and I thought, I, don't, I just started packing up. Where are you going? You're going back to the church? <laughs> so you, you can come with me if you want. I went straight in and told Jeanette, remember there's some things you don't pray about. Some things you need to do. You need to act. Right? God told Moses off for that. Moses was praying when he should have been doing something. And in that situation, I needed to get out of that situation. I went to the church and I said, Jeanette, that's a bit of a funny girl there. We don't have to watch her. Because I don't think that was a good situation. I didn't feel right about it at all. So we carry on. About six months or, or more go by. I got a phone call from the pastor of that church and we were just talking. And he said, do you remember that girl? I said, yeah. He said, ah, we had a deliverance session. And people could come forward for deliverance. She came forward. We started praying for her. She started tearing her clothes off, screaming, shouting, all sorts of filthy things. You see, that day, the girl wasn't after me. The spirit is after me. It's an evil spirit trying to get you. That's what God calls spoil. The devil's spoil. 
He comes to offer you sin, you see? But, and the virtuous wife is aware of the world in which we live. Her husband has no need of spoil because she understands that she's not stupid, she's wise. She's industrious, and this is where chauvinism just goes right out the window. And did you hear what God said about the woman, the, the, the virtuous woman? She was a businesswoman. She was in charge of her own home. She knew how to run her own home well. She was industrious, bringing stuff from it. She had employees. There's no chauvinism in that, amen. And so women do not be put down because it ain't God that's doing it. This woman described here is not only virtuous, she's extremely artistic, she's productive, she's creative. You give her a house, she gives you back a home. Give her a bag of vegetables, hopefully you'll get a nice meal. Right? So she's productive. She's creative. She's thrifty. She knows how to run her home well. She rises early. And again, this is the whole prayer thing. That women do so, so well in prayer. There's far more women praying than there ever are men. Women, I, I hope you see. One of the problems with looking at men and women in Scripture is you keep on running into the problem that people think God is putting women down. Right? All the time. God's not putting women down. Nothing in the scripture leans that way. Nothing. In fact, it's the man who's the weaker vessel. Not the woman. Men are, women are actually stronger than men. It's the man who's the weaker vessel. But there's a lot of confusion, misunderstanding about that whole scenario and the fall and what happened. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter, uh, Peter says this. He says that the husbands should love their wives as the weaker vessel. And don't we love to hear that quoted? But there's another half to that scripture, and it's in Genesis, where God had created the man, and the man was there in the Garden of Eden, and God looked at him, and something was missing in him, really, in terms of drive to fulfill his call. And God looked at him and thought, I know what I'll do. I'll make him an easer connecto, help meet. I will make him an easer, one of superior strength. That's what help means. In, that's what the Hebrew word for help means in that. One who is stronger than him. And the word konegdo means to balance him. So, you get the scenario. This is before the fall. It's a very important point. Before the fall. Before sin. God sees man. And this man is supposed to have drive and vision and achieve his goal. But he can't. Something's missing. I know what I'll give him. I'll give him a woman beside him who's stronger than he is. Let me just take a look around you guys. Chris. Who's stronger spiritually, you or Eileen? <laughs> Let me answer that. Eileen is. Okay? Henry. Who, I'm really in trouble now. <laughs> Henry. <laughs> who's stronger spiritually, you or Suyin? Suyin, I'll answer it for you. Stefan. Who's stronger spiritually, you or Estella? Estella. Ruth. Who's stronger spiritually, you or Jim? Ruth. Jeanette. Oh, that's okay. Right. My wife is much, 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 much stronger than me. No problem. Much, much stronger than me, spiritually. Always has been and remains so to this very day. It's different. And there's a misunderstanding concerning these things. Now, keep following the, 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 the storyline. Here's Adam. He's, he, God's created him. He's supposed to be the man, right? The leader. He's got, but there's something missing. So God says to him, I will make you one to be alongside you. One of greater spiritual strength than you. 
So there she is. In comes Eve. What happens? Eve sins. Eve took the fruit. And God comes in just a few chapters later. God comes into the Garden of Eden and he says, Okay, this is my judgment. Eve, because you sinned, your desire, because of your superior strength, your desire will be to rule over your husband. But from this day on, I institute male leadership. The man will actually rule over you. You see? It was a judgment. So here, now we have a situation, we're going to look at it next week. Now we have a situation in marriages where you have a woman of superior strength often to the husband. And the woman gets frustrated thinking, God, what's going on in here? Right? And you need to learn to work through those things, understand those things, and not sin. Women are in an unenviable position with regards to authority and oversight, I tell you. It is not simple, it is not easy, and it's torturous if you don't get it right in your marriage. We, we each need to understand the fall. We need to understand where the fall has left us, and then, and then how to make those things work best within the, the biblical boundaries we're given. Okay? So you move from femalehood, which is the base nature of, of all womankind, you move to girlhood, and I hope you can leave any ways you see in yourself behind. Then you move into womanhood. Then you move into wifehood, and it doesn't stop there. It actually finishes with one of the hardest ones to find today, and that's motherhood. Motherhood is becoming, in my opinion, very scarce. You know, a wife of noble character who can find? Well, let me tell you, a mother. It's a changing world. People want to go to nightclubs, leave the kids at home. Where's all the mothers gone? You hear so much about fathers. Fine. I tell you, it's no, maybe a bit less of a problem, but it's still a problem. Mothers are known by their self-sacrificing nature towards their offspring, towards their children. Known for their nurturing ability to be sensitive, hopefully more sensitive than anybody else. Right? They're known for believing in greatness within their husband or their children, knowing and believing that your child can be someone, can do something. That's what mothers should be known for. And the last one there, of course, the most important, especially today with all these political you know, shenanigans going on with regards to abortion. I thank God my mother didn't abort me. Do you know... I was the last child of 10 children. My mom had 10 kids, nine kids before me. I was number 10. And when she went, she was over 40. And this was 43, 44 years ago. So she goes to the doctor with my dad. And they said, it's not good. I think they said there was a 45% chance that I would die. And there was, I can't remember the statistics for her to die in childbirth. I remember this is over 40 years ago in a hospital. And they said, so what are you going to do? And I thank God that they said, we're going to have the baby. We're going to pray. We're going to have the baby. We're going to go for it. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, abortion is a sensitive, sensitive issue. By the way, let me tell you something. Women, women who abort their children, you're still a mother. You're still a mother. Because it doesn't, life doesn't begin at birth. Life begins at conception. Okay? So you're still a mother. You did a terrible thing if you've gone through abortion. One of our leaders here, before they got saved, had an abortion.
pearl rose and told us all about that here one Friday. But I, I, just, I was in the church very early this morning, about three o'clock, and I was praying. And God began to speak to me as I walked around about women who had had abortions. And I could see women in Australia and in New Zealand and in Africa and all around the world, almost feeling like they had committed the unforgivable sin. Abortion is a terrible thing, a dreadful thing, and horrific crime for any woman to commit. But I want to tell you something. It is not the unforgivable sin. And God will forgive you. If you have done that, it's the worst act a mother could ever commit. No question. But God will still forgive you. You see, when you, in Jeremiah chapter 1, God speaks to Jeremiah and he says this, before you were formed, before you were even formed in the womb, I knew you. You see? So if you abort a child, I believe that child is safe in the hands of God. Okay? And Paul talks about that. You can read Romans 1, 2, where he talks about that. There's an age of accountability here. And your child who you, you aborted still exists and is safe in the hands of God. But you know what the problem is? The problem is you. If you're not saved, you'll never see your child. And then hasn't the devil really won? Not only getting you to cause that, to do that terrible thing, but then also separating you eternally from your own child. And there's one way and one way only that you will get to see your child. And that's by repenting. Just like those of us here who are born again, that's what we've done. We've established ourselves. We've owned up to our own sin. We've turned from it, put our faith in God and got saved. I want to ask any of you, particularly out there around the world, if you're a woman who has had an abortion and you think that God now hates you. Well, God hates sin, let me tell you, all sin. But God loves you. And wouldn't it be a great thing if you repented of your sin, that sin and all the others, and turned to Christ? And I think it would give God the greatest of joy to one day see you and your child together in heaven. Women, I feel genuinely sorry for women, I must say, having just done this study. Genuinely sorry, because I can see just a little glimpse of the pains that you must go through. Well, God knows it. God's on your side. He doesn't look down on women, and men ever, ever let us be found guilty of that. Praise God. Thank you for watching today's program. I hope you have been blessed and edified by what you've seen and heard. Folks, you can see how important it is for the teaching of God's Word to get out to the nations. I want to invite you to do something very significant for your life, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. You can go to our website there where you'll find a way in which you can join up with us and partner with us to take these essential teachings, essential truths, out to the nations of the world. Thank you for watching, and God bless you.